This is COINTELPRO. Welcome back to COINTELPRO, everyone. It's Austin here, and I wanted to put out a bit of an informal episode covering the crazy news of the past 48 hours in relation to the UFO UAP topic. As a lot of you know, a congressional hearing took place yesterday on the topic of UFOs, and it has been widely covered by a lot of mainstream press outlets. The House Intelligence, Counterterrorism, Counterintelligence, and Counterproliferation Subcommittee, chaired by Congressman Andre Carson of Indiana, held an open hearing on the topic. So the day before the hearing, I did quite a bit of thinking on the word expectation regarding the hearing. I noticed quite a few people on UFO Twitter, for instance, claiming this was going to finally be the moment of disclosure where the United States government waltzes out in front of the world to tell everyone these objects do not belong to the United States or any other foreign government on Earth and that we have recovered technology created by non-human intelligence. Obviously, none of that happened. So we heard a lot of conversation taking place that seemed to be a bit of a rehash of the Pentagon UAP task force report from last summer in 2021. While the report came to no conclusions about the truly unexplained and anomalous cases it collected, it was still nonetheless a great first step in establishing the very notion that there are objects flying around in our skies that defy conventional flight characteristics. That alone is incredible. We heard specifically from Scott Bray, the Deputy Director of Naval Intelligence, and Ronald Moultrie, the current Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence and Security. Scott Bray began by immediately discussing the rise in UAP sightings since the early 2000s, which he attributed to several reasons. He highlighted the technological improvements for multi-sensor systems, which have become central in a lot of the publicly known UFO sightings by members of the United States military, um, especially aviators of the Navy. He did make an interesting point in discussing the destigmatizing of this topic among members of the military. A lot of those listening understand that we are probably missing a lot of evidence and valuable data on the UFO phenomenon. Members of the military have not come forth out of fear of ridicule. The same can be said for civilians who are fearful of reactions from their social circles by revealing an experience or citing to those individuals. My personal hope is that the stigma regarding these sightings and encounters becomes less and less prevalent uh, during this period as we move forward. The truly strange and utterly bizarre cases, even those coming from individuals who come across as sane, sober, and credible, you know, must be considered within this larger database we are starting to form as a society, right? So we move on to Ronald Moultrie, who was giving us an update on AIMSOG. Yeah, that acronym, which now has kind of a strange new sort of pronunciation. I think a lot of us, myself included, have reservations about this group, given its position within the very organization 
that has actively tried to obfuscate this topic for decades. I think a lot of people want to see an office that is truly detached from the Pentagon and other areas of the American intelligence community that have historically worked to undermine the credibility and legitimacy of the UFO mystery. The very name of this podcast is taken after the FBI's counterintelligence program, which illegally infiltrated and manipulated activist and dissident groups decades ago. And we know the United States intelligence community has infiltrated UFO organizations and conducted psychological operations on American citizens, like Paul Benowitz. At the core, there is something that they want to keep people away from, a real truth. Back in the early 80s, it was my job to confuse the UFO community. And it was very easy to convince Paul. Paul was a World War II veteran. He's very patriotic. He always flew his flag. Those type of people you can convince that, listen, you can't tell anybody else about this because it's, you know, you're getting in the wrong hands. Would we use perception to help shroud what we're trying to protect? Absolutely. If you've got an aerial platform that is highly advanced and the public who happens to get a glimpse of the thing, if they're convinced that it's from Venus and there's no way it could be our military, well, hey, you know, that's, that's awesome. Hell yes. So these are things to consider as we move forward. We should always be skeptical of what the intelligence community tells us peasants. So moving on, another interesting tidbit of information um, that Scott Bray brought up was the number of sightings and cases they have now collected and investigated, which has increased from 144 cases to approximately 400 in total. That seems like quite the increase from the task force report from last summer. At one point, Bray also mentioned the Pentagon brought in metallurgy experts to investigate certain UFO cases. This was a peculiar detail that I saw getting kind of called out a lot on Twitter because it suggests they recovered material at one point, but Moultrie would later state that they do not have any exotic materials in their possession in terms of what the UAP task force has. So, There's also been a lot of discussion on the wording behind, you know, Moultrie's sort of dodging the question that was being asked there. You know, he only referred to any possible material the UAP task force itself would have when he answered the question, not any other kind of program within the the Defense Department, the Air Force, the Navy, or potential special access programs that might possess material. So overall, we heard a lot of discussion from Bray and Moultrie about the Defense Department taking this subject very seriously and are invested in attempting to peel away the layers of mystery that surround a lot of these unexplained cases. Hopefully that's the case. So if only half the hearing um, hadn't been taken up by them attempting to pause a really poor UFO video uh, right when the anomalous object came into view, oh well. So, like I said, a lot of this talk was a bit of a rehash of the UAP task force report in congressional hearing form. I honestly expected a lot of the hearing to basically go this way, but there were some very interesting Easter eggs thrown into the mix I absolutely did not expect to get brought up. So, as everyone knows by now, Representative Mike Gallagher of Wisconsin's 8th Congressional District at one point asked if Bray and or Moultrie were aware of the infamous um, Dr. 
Eric Davis, Admiral Wilson, Admiral Thomas Wilson uh, memo. This is an unsubstantiated document that makes incredibly explosive and paradigm-shifting claims. So it was pretty wild to hear a member of the United States Congress even bring it up. For those listening who are not aware of this document, I encourage you to, you know, take out your grain of salt, but keep an open mind. So Admiral Thomas Wilson is a retired United States uh, Navy Vice Admiral who had previously worked as the literal director of the Defense Intelligence Agency from 1999-2002. The conversation notes the documents, clocking in at 15 pages long, depicts a conversation taking place between Dr. Eric Davis, a physicist who has worked in academia and as a contractor and consultant for the United States Air Force, its research laboratory, multiple Pentagon agencies, the Department of Energy, NASA, and a whole host of other organizations. So in this conversation, Admiral Wilson tells Dr. Davis about his discovery of a heavily classified black program that was attempting to study, potentially back-engineer, recovered non-human technology. And given Admiral Wilson's rank, position, and stature in the intelligence community, one would expect him to have immediate access to this program. But in this conversation, this purported conversation, Wilson says that he was denied access altogether. It's a wild document. And you may be wondering if any of this information has been confirmed or denied. Admiral Wilson has voraciously denied the authenticity of the document. In fact, he has called it a complete fiction. And you can certainly take that as truth if you choose to do so. But wouldn't Wilson have to deny the document given his position? It seems like he has at this point, um, and will for the foreseeable future, has a legal obligation to do so no matter the cost. Now, Dr. Eric Davis, on the other hand, has publicly given a statement that does not confirm or deny the document. Why wouldn't he deny it as quickly and easily as Admiral Tom Wilson did? And at this point, I want to include an audio clip to provide more context for these documents I'm referring to. Specifically, an audio clip of Ross Colthart, the acclaimed Australian investigative journalist, we've had on COINTELPRO. You can hear him on episode 33 of this podcast. Ross was on Kurt Jaimungle's Theories of Everything podcast, um, and he answered a question uh, from one of uh, Kurt's listeners for the podcast on the Wilson Davis documents. And I think you should listen to this. I'll be sure to link the Theories of Everything episode with Ross Colehart in the show notes. I mean, why does he think Admiral Wilson docs are legit? And I believe you've explained this in your In Plain Sight, but if you can give it to people yeah. who have it. Uh, actually, actually, if he reads my book, he would see that I concede at the end of my analysis of the Admiral Wilson documents that we cannot reach any conclusion about them until and if either Tom Wilson or Eric Davis concedes that the documents are a real account of a real conversation. Um, I do believe that there is a strong body of evidence to suggest that the provenance of the documents is very, very solid. And 
uh, I write about a guy to whom I give the pseudonym in my book, The Spaceman. And uh, he was a very, very close friend of um, Edgar Mitchell. And it turned out when he got to know me, he confided that he was the custodian of Edgar Mitchell's private UFO archives. And um, he allowed me access to those archives. And in those archives is the original of the Admiral Wilson document that was leaked out onto the web in about 2018. And uh, that was done by a good friend of mine here in Australia, James Rigney, who passed it on to Grant Cameron and Richard Dolan. Uh, so I'm very sure of the provenance of the Admiral Wilson document. It came from Edgar Mitchell's estate, and I'm also very sure that it was written by Dr. Eric Davis, a man for whom I have an enormous amount of respect. Um, and I'm pretty sure that the document was faxed by Dr. Hal Putoff to Edgar Mitchell, because Edgar Mitchell was on the science advisory board for the National Institute of Discovery Science, which was the private science investigative body that was investigating the paranormal for Bob Bigelow, the aerospace and real estate entrepreneur. And I've also done an analysis of the comments made by all of the people who are parties, if you like, to the provenance of the document. And None of them. You would think, let me put it this way, if you were Eric Davis and people were circulating a document that purports to be Eric Davis's notes of his alleged conversation with Admiral Tom Wilson, the immediate past director of the Defence Intelligence Agency, in a car park, ironically, the car park of EG&G, you couldn't get more spooky than that, you know, the EG&G company in Las Vegas. And they're discussing a covert aerospace company's concealment on behalf of certain elements of the US government and intelligence establishment of retrieved alien technology and how it's been kept secret from the US public for so many years. You would expect that such a wild, wacky conspiracy theory would be immediately denied by a man with a security oath to protect and, you know, a need to be seen to be a loyal patriot of America. You know, you wouldn't want false rumours to be being disseminated on your name. But what has Eric Davis done? If anything, in an interview with Stephen Greenstreet on The Basement, which for some perverse reason Greenstreet took down, Eric Davis uh, made a number of admissions that I thought were quite pertinent to this, and I write about them in the book. In terms of proving the authenticity of this document, there's not much else that we can say at this point in time besides the fact that it being brought into the congressional record is very interesting. To me, Honestly, it's kind of opened Pandora's box a little bit. So think about this with me. If the pressure stays on Congress to continue investigating this subject, and we continue to see more and more hearings, like one before the entire House Intelligence Committee, or even its Senate counterpart, there is a high chance 
we may see congressional resources devoted to determining the veracity of this document in the near future. I don't think we can understate the potential value of the Wilson Davis document now, given the context of what has happened over the past 48 hours. I understand it has not been properly substantiated. And one of the members of the very conversation that supposedly took place um, has publicly denied it. But Eric Davis's refusal to confirm or deny the legitimacy of the conversation is what should drive people to figure out its authenticity. So Brian Bender, who is the senior national correspondent for Politico, uh, covering defense and space, commented on this document on Twitter, becoming a part of the congressional record. He said, quote, Biggest surprise of the UAP hearing, Representative Gallagher entering into the congressional record an unverified document that makes explosive claims that have never been corroborated one iota, end quote. He followed that tweet with, quote, One thing is certain, Eric Davis can't hide behind Aerospace Corporation anymore. The public deserves to hear his full recounting of this episode, preferably under oath before Congress. And maybe that's why Representative Gallagher did it. He just opened a can of worms for sure. It becomes more interesting to me because you almost wonder if Mr. Bender is aware of things going on, you know, potentially behind the scenes. I actually tweeted yesterday um, on May 17th, there have been rumors of members of Congress discussing amnesty and immunity for these people like Dr. Davis. And with the info Representative Gallagher discussed today during the hearing, it really makes you wonder if there's a connection, anticipation of such events taking place. And Brian Bender favorited that tweet. So, who knows? So what if the goal of Gallagher bringing up this document is to really start the process of getting someone like Eric Davis to testify under oath? A good way, as we've kind of already touched on, uh, to go about this strategy would be to give someone like Dr. Davis immunity from prosecution. So he can talk about potentially classified information on these objects and possible crash retrievals. I really wonder if this is the grand plan. Are they setting up a situation where congressional resources are used to investigate the veracity of these documents. Proving the claims put forth in the document could equate to some form of disclosure. I can't help but also think about Lou Elizondo's recent comment on Ross Coldhart uh, and uh, Bryce Sable's podcast, Need to Know, where he very clearly says there are going to be more hearings on this topic. And they had a whole discussion on the Wilson Davis memo being brought up. Everyone seemed quite baffled that Gallagher even brought it up in the first place. Think about it. Let it sink in for a moment that members of Congress have clearly discussed and are aware of this incredible piece of information that has not been substantiated, that has basically been at the forefront of UFO lore, you know, for a few years now. So just the day before the hearing, uh, Bender had authored an article for Politico titled A Skull and Bones Type Vibe, Spy Agencies Grapple 
with how much to share at the UFO hearing. So Bender covers a lot of information we've discussed so far in a preview of the hearing the day before. The article, though, becomes really interesting at one point when an intelligence source tells Bender there is, quote, another faction inside the military and intel agencies that takes the subject very seriously and is protective of UAP-related data. They fetishize their secret society, the official said. It's kind of a skull and bones type vibe. They take it seriously, but they have no accountability, zero. There's a whole group of us that know in great detail this subject, a lot of which has not been reported to Congress because of security issues. So Brian Bender, outside of Ross Colthart, Leslie Keen, Ralph Blumenthal, is, you know, one of the first mainstream journalists journalists we've seen focus any sort of attention on the Wilson Davis memo. I think this is extremely important for a variety of reasons. It shines a spotlight for other mainstream journalists who might be interested in this to begin digging into the authenticity of this document. And I think this is the key. Remember, this was a hearing simply about unexplained aerial phenomena. But we have a United States congressman going right into asking Pentagon officials if they know anything about a document that talks about the former director of the Defense Intelligence Agency being denied access to a black program that possesses alien technology. It doesn't get any more wild than this. And now we have an article from Brian Bender that really starts to hint at a major cover-up of this subject. That leads us to ask this question as well. What potentially serious crimes have been committed by the state to hide this mystery? And as an extension of the state, what potentially serious crimes have been committed by private contractors and organizations to maintain the veil of secrecy? That last question especially applies to the Wilson Davis memo if the document's claims end up being true. So where do we go from here? It is very clear this is going to be the first of potentially many hearings on this topic. The fact that Adam Schiff, the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, was present means that he very well might be interested in bringing this subject before an even bigger audience in the future. And we already know that Senators Marco Rubio and Kirsten Gillibrand have an interest in UFOs and UAP. That makes it seem likely we will also see a Senate hearing on the phenomenon as well. This is potentially the greatest story of all time, trying to claw its way to the surface for us all to witness radically change the world forever. It is worth digging into with every ounce of our collective being as a species. While the tide of collapse and decline slowly rises over our faltering democracy, we still have the ability, as Americans, to demand answers from our elected representatives on this topic. If we can acquire the full attention of the United States Congress and its resources for this mystery, there is an argument to be made that it's game over then getting any and all of these characters we've mentioned so far in this episode to testify under oath before Congress should be the endgame. Thanks for listening.